Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 6, how man's thoughts were evil continually, and how we can know within us when a thought is just a thought or when a thought has intent, evil, or corruption in it. Now, before we get started with our teaching from Genesis with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, we want to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse by email by going to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, or searching for us on Facebook by searching for Friendship with God. Today's devotional is called Kept Ready for Transplant. And Tom Cantor uses one verse from the Bible in each of his daily devotional verses. And today uses Jeremiah 48.11 and talks about how Jeremiah the prophet talked about Israel being emptied from vessel to vessel. And Tom Cantor gives a short commentary on that verse. And he says this, The nurseries have certain plants only at certain times of year. So it's been necessary in the past to buy extra plants before we had a chance to choose where to plant them. We would have so many plants and pots waiting for transplant that they would be stored in pots with drainage holes at the bottom. We kept them on the ground and watered them every day. Only one problem was that their roots grew through the drainage holes and into the fertile ground below. So periodically, we would have to lift the pots and cut the roots that had grown out of the drainage holes. We knew that cutting the roots would hurt the plants, but they recovered... And it was the only way we could keep them ready for transplant. And Tom Cantor finishes with this comment, God has us here on this earth waiting for transplant to heaven. But sometimes life is good and everything seems to be going our way. Adequate finances, good health, relationships are pleasant, work is fulfilling, life is enjoyable. However, secretly we set our roots out of our pots of confinement and say life is good on earth. And I would like to stay here and I don't really want to be transplanted to heaven. Then unexpected trouble comes, and we feel turned upside down, and God picks us up, cuts those secret roots, and even though it hurts, it's the only way to keep ready for transplant. Sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse by going to friendshipwithgod.org. And verse 22 tells us the Spirit brings to us a certain delight, a joy. Whereas verse 23 tells us that the flesh brings us into prison, into misery, where we would say, oh, wretched man that I am. Now, keeping that in mind, and we turn back to Genesis 6, that's the application, this verse 3, is the application of this verse for us as Christians. Two forces are at work within us. So there's a war going on inside of us. There's a war. We could call it the moral war going on inside of each one of us. It's the war between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And when it comes to Genesis 6, verse 3, who's winning? The flesh. How do you know? It says, for that he also is flesh. It means the sons of God were losing the moral war between the spirit and the flesh. And the sons of God were sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into the flesh. And the sons of God were becoming wholly carnal. They were losing the moral battle. And when God saw them in Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What made the difference for man to be so wicked on earth? Why was there all this great wickedness on the earth? The great wickedness was seen Because man had lost a battle in his mind. First there was the battle in the mind. And that battle was lost. 
And then the corruption and the violence starts coming. But you see what it says? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What does that mean? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. What's the imagination of the thoughts of the heart mean? First of all, before we come to that, notice in the first couple of words there, in the fifth verse, God saw, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Don't miss those two words. They're very important because they tell us so much about God. It shows us God is looking on our thoughts. God is monitoring what we are thinking about. He sees our thoughts. Just like David, king of Israel, said in Psalms 94.11, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Just like he said again in Psalm 139.2, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. He sees when we sit down. He sees when he gets up. And he sees right inside of our mind. And he says he knows our thought afar off. If you think about that, God knows our thought afar off. He knows the terrible things that we think about that we shove into the back closet and we put signs on there, do not open. And we think we're the only one. God saw that. God saw that thought. Oh, what this makes us think about God. My orange tree is like our hearts. And the orange tree is like the Holy Spirit. Keep the word. Keep means to incorporate it to the level of saying, I want to do what it says. God is looking on our thoughts. God is monitoring what we are thinking about. A friend is a person who knows something bad about you and loves you. That's a friend. A friend is a person who knows something bad, something bad about you, but he loves you. You know what a best friend is? A best friend is the one who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. That's God. That's God. That's Jesus is his name. A best friend is the one who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. And Jesus is his name. That's him. That shows us the love of God. God saw. He knows everything about us. He knows the worst and he loves us. That makes him our best friend. Now, what did he see? The wickedness was great. It tells us that what man was doing was very bad. The earth was a violent place, it says in verse 11 and verse 13. And by the way, it describes that very carefully because it says that it was corrupt. It says, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Have you ever considered that before violence comes corruption... Moral corruption runs before violence, or put it a different way, violence follows moral corruption. That's what verse 11 is telling us. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And then it says, the thoughts of man were evil. You know, this is interesting, because when an evil thought comes into our minds, first it arrives as a suggestion, as a suggestion. And right away, we're faced with a decision. What will we do? It's like a little brush fire that started, and will we quickly mobilize, identify it, go and extinguish it, which is what we need to do? 
Or will we just say, oh, it's not worth the effort. It's not so bad. Don't put it out and allow it to continue. And then that thought, which was a suggestion, grows to a little bit larger, gets to a little bit different stage in our minds when it becomes mixed in with purpose or with intent. Now all of a sudden, that thought has an intention behind it. That thought has a purpose behind it. The bad thought that is not put out grows into a, now I want to do. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel, and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they too might be saved. Now, Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. The word translated for as imagination is interesting. Remember how before we talked about how God formed man out of the dust of the earth? And we said that was the word Yatsar, the word Yatsar, he formed man out of the dust of the earth. He formed with his hands like a potter. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You remember how that word was the Yatsar? We really got to the point where you could see the hand involvement as God formed man. That's the word that's used there. And from that action, man became known, not just as man, but a beautiful title in verse 7 of chapter 2. Beautiful title for man. Because what happened is that God formed man of the dust of the earth. Sorry, then it's verse 8 that gives another new name. Verse 8 reads like this. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. What a beautiful title for man. Not just man but man whom God had formed. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? You're not just whatever your name is, but you are your name whom God had formed. You are the work of God. God put his hands together and he formed you in the womb. And just as Adam had this title, man whom he had formed, so we also have that title as well. It's wonderful. But what we see is that with God, is when he made man, he had this intention. So he goes forward and he forms it with his hand. There was a purpose. There was an intention in God's heart when he made man. And from that purpose in his mind, that intention in his heart, he uses his hands to form. Now, that's the word yatsar. The word for imagination here is the word yetsar, which comes from yatsar. So the idea is that man is not just thinking a bad thought, but he's gone to the next level of like putting his hands to it or trying to bring it about. In other words, he's got purpose and intention to those bad thoughts. 
Man's trying to figure out how he's going to do it, how he's going to execute it. This means that really there are two parts to man's mind when it comes to evil. First, there's a part where the evil thought is entertained, where it's kind of amusing. And then it rises to the next level in the mind where the thought has now got a little bit more involvement in entertainment and amusement. Now it's got intent and purpose. This is this word, yetzar. And now it's just the next step before the actual act itself comes out. How can you know, how can I know, that when you or I have a thought, is that a thought or is that an actual got intent to it? How can we know that? Well, to separate simple thoughts from more advanced thoughts with intent is ex- described for us It's exactly in Hebrews 4.12. And it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Can you do that? Can you say, well, that was your soul, that was your spirit? No way. Well, who's speaking right now? Is your soul your spirit? No way. But the Word of God is so sharp that it can divide between your soul and your spirit. And then it says, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the wonder of the Bible. The wonder of the Bible. It's the great exposure of not only our evil thoughts, but also the thoughts that have progressed to have intent. That's why the Lord said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. From the heart proceed or rise up evil thoughts. That's what was meant in 2 Samuel when it spoke about the wrath of the king arose. In other words, it comes out of his heart. So why did the flood come? Why did the flood come? Was it because of the corruption of the line of Cain? What corruption? They were already corrupt. What's to be corrupted? They were already bad. They were already corrupt. It wasn't because of the corruption of the line of Cain. It was because of the corruption of the sons of God. The sons of God had become corrupted, and they represent for God the remnant on the earth. Just like that was the whole basis of Abraham's arguing for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham said, I know there's great wickedness, there's Sodomites in Sodom and Gomorrah, but let's just say if there is 50 righteous there, we are destroyed. He says, no. What Abraham was doing is he understood this principle here. He understood this principle that if the remnant, the people of God, the sons of God, had kept themselves clean, had kept themselves from being corrupted, that they would preserve or hold back judgment. And so how did the remnant at that time become corrupted? By marrying outside the will of God, as we saw earlier. Like today, you take a young woman, and she's dating a certain fellow, planning to get married. Then she's asked the question, Is he saved? And if he's not, she typically will reply, No, but I'm working on that. I'm working on him. Then comes the next statement. Well, do you know that what the Bible says about being unequally yoked? Then, back, comes the snap, the angry flash of the eyes, and the statement, That's my business. That's not your business. 
That's none of your business. Now, that was the position of these sons of God if they were challenged about being unequally yoked. That's how they became corrupted. That's when God's remnant became corrupted. There was nothing left for God except to bring the flood judgment on the earth. But then it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, last week we talked about, from Genesis 6, 8, the two words, found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we saw that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because grace was there to be found. And Noah was looking for, he sought the grace of God, and he found it. And if anyone wants to find the grace of God, he can find it because God has set it out there for a person to find and to get. That's the wonderful thing about God. That's exactly what Noah found the grace of God. If you turn to Titus 2.11, it's a very interesting verse where it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Think of Noah with this verse, Titus 2.11. Think of Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What kind of grace of God did Noah find? The same grace that's described in this verse. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. What was Noah's greatest need? Noah needed to be saved from the flood that was coming, from the flood judgment. What is man's greatest need today? Man needs to be saved from the judgment that's coming, from the hell judgment. How did Noah find salvation that saved him from the flood judgment? By looking for it. And he found the grace of God. How does man today find salvation from the hell judgment? By looking for it from God. That's what God means. And he's inviting man. There's really an invitation verse when he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We talked about half-heartedness last week. Noah found the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And that salvation was a big boat. And if you wanted to name that boat, you could go onto the back of that boat, you could make a sign, you could just nail it right to there. SS, grace of God that bringeth salvation. Because that's exactly what it was. There's another wonderful truth in this verse, though. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 9 through 11, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So here in these verses, what do we see? Verse 9, God the Father sees God the Son. God the Son who had become a man. God the Son who had become a perfect man, a qualified Lamb of God, without blemish, And those were given to us by the words, he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth, a qualified lamb of God without blemish. 
Next, in verse 10, like Abraham with Isaac on Mount Moriah, we see in verse 10, God the Father like Abraham raising his knife over God the Son. Only this time, no restraining angel. That's the difference. And it goes down, the knife goes down, no restraining angel. And he sees this, please the Lord to bruise him. And then in verse 11, these amazing words, we see God the Father watched very closely all the sufferings that were coming to God the Son. God the Father was watching very closely. In verse 11 it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Those words, he shall see, mean that what they mean is that God the Father gazed on the Son, on the cross. He gazed at the cross. And that's where he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So he was gazing on it. He shall see. It means that God the Father forever sees the cross in his eyes. He shall see means that if you could see the eyes of God the Father, you would see the reflection of the cross in his eyes. Why? Because that's what those words mean. He shall see in God the Father's eyes forever. It's the cross. In the eyes of God is the cross. And when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it means that Noah found in the eyes of God the sacrifice. He found the cross. He found the cross as the grace of God that bringeth salvation. That's what it means when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It means that Noah found the cross in the eyes of God. And that was the basis for God to save Noah from the flood judgment. If any person wants to be saved from hell, if any person wants to be saved from the judgment of God, the hell judgment of God, he must look to God and know that God has in his eyes the cross because he saw the travail of his soul. And if any person is to find salvation, then he will find the cross in the eyes of the Lord because that's what God is looking at to save the souls of men from hell judgment. The hell that man deserves, God will save him because of the cross. That's what it means in Acts 4.12 when it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John 14.6 where Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When it comes to the salvation of man, God has only one thing firmly in his sight, the cross. And in the cross, he sees his son making the only adequate salvation sacrifice for man's sin. And when man with his most pressing need for salvation turns his sight away, from everything else in life, turns his sight away from his own works, turns his sight away from man's religions, turns his sight away from every other pursuit, and puts his sight firmly on the cross. Then God and lost man have the same thing that they're looking at, the cross. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed 
of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? The cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, this is as far as we have time today, so let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for having the cross in your eyes. And Lord, thank you so much for enabling us to find grace in your eyes. Thank you, Lord, for fixing our sight also on the cross and for giving us the knowledge that your righteous Son would justify us as we put our faith in his great sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for doing this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Just a reminder, if you would like to download this message for free, you can do so on our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com and SermonAudio.com. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051. And for any donation of $100 or more, we will send you Tom Cantor's new Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's over 2,200 pages with over 600 pages of Bible helps, has a genuine lambskin leather cover and gold lettering. It's got over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It has over 20 full-color custom maps and timelines. It's got a full 1,500-word Bible concordance. It's got the most popular Bible scriptures to study and memorize section. It's got a prophecy and fulfillment section, names of the Messiah section, the life of Joseph study section, and so many other amazing Bible helps. It's yours for a donation of $100. Call us, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051.